Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the gospel because only the gospel can change the world. Only the gospel can change us. The good news of your life, death, and resurrection. Father, we can't add to the gospel. We can't bring anything to the table that recommends us to you. We can't merit your favor. We can't merit your love. There's nothing that is good within us that we can bring before you that would compel you to give of us anything. You give because you are a giver. You give because you're loyal. You give because you are love, and love always gives, always gives, always gives what is best for the other. And so, Father, we are grateful for the reality of the gospel, and we pray, Lord, that our lives will not be the same, but that this would start a revolution that we can join in with the disciples and say, herein is love. We saw your righteousness, your love in a new way, and it changed our lives in Connecticut and New York and New Hampshire and Rhode Island, New York, and Mass, Boston Mass, will never be the same. Our jobs will never be the same. Our families will never be the same because of the gospel. So we need the gospel tonight, Father, and only you can bring it into our hearts, into our lives. So teach us and show us the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are studying the gospel tonight because we believe that the gospel is our only hope. And if we look closely in scripture, we'll find that God has always been trying to get the gospel into our hearts. Now, why is that? Raise your hand if you've heard of the ripple effect. The what? The ripple effect. What happens, the other day I went to the Arboretum, not too far from here, I live in the area. The Arboretum has a beautiful lake and there's rocks on the shore, really nice. And I went to the Arboretum and I, I took one of the stones on the shore and I just threw it in the water. And there was a ripple. And another, and another, and another. The disciples experienced the ripple effect. The gospel is like that rock. The good news is like that rock. There's always a reaction to every action. Let's look at this principle in Scripture. Go with me really quickly. We're going to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14. This is the heart of our movement. This is why GYC exists. GYC Atlantic exists for this message. Revelation chapter 14. And I promise I'm going to share a quick story as we turn our Bibles to this text. Revelation chapter 14. Years ago, about three years ago, I decided to make a trip down to New Orleans. And I'm originally from New Orleans, and I made that trip down to New Orleans because I wanted to see my family, but I wanted someone very special to me to meet my family. And not only that, but I also said, you know what, this is my first Christmas with this beautiful woman who's here tonight. My first Christmas with her, with my family, and I want to give her something that will create a ripple effect. 
that every time she looks at it, every time she turns her eyes in that direction, she will remember that Christmas in the room. A tangible reminder. And so I made my way down to New Orleans, and as the days went on, I had two objectives. Definitely spend time with my family, but my other objective was to find an antique doll for my wife. Now, she wasn't my wife at the time, but I was trained to create a ripple effect. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went on the search trying to find this antique doll. And I'm looking and looking all over the city trying to find it. And the reason why is because my, my wife has this tradition, whenever she travels to another city or another country, she always goes and she looks for an antique doll that represents that city, that country. So if you if you took a visit with us to my mother-in-law's home, she doesn't like me, she doesn't like for me to use that term, my mother's home. <laughs> my mother's home. She was here, she was enjoying it. My mother's home. You look over, as you walk into the door, you'll see a huge case, and it's full of dolls from all over the world. So, as I made my way around the city, finally, I found the doll as I walked into this huge shop. There were dolls everywhere, all over, everywhere. And I looked up to the right. There was a doll pink dress, white, beautiful little doll. So the guy, that one. He takes it, brings it down, we put it in a case. <coughs> he gives it to me, actually a box. He gives it to me. Now, I told my aunt what I was planning to do, and so my aunt said, you know what you need to do? You need to find a beautiful case to put it in. We're going to get some tissue to put it in. We're, we're going to make the most out of it. So we went to the store, we found all this, all the rest. Here's, long story short, here's the point. Once my, my wife arrived, one, I went to the airport, picked her up, and we started making our way to my home in New Orleans. And guess what I was thinking about? The dog. <laughs> That's all I was thinking about. And so we, we got into the house, and I, I'm just anticipating the, and, and the reaction on her face, and she's going to be excited and all the rest. And, and, she, and we sit, she sits on the couch, and, and I, I have something for you. So I go and I grab the case and open up the case. She opens the case. But before she opened the case, I said, you, you have to wait. 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 Let me get my camera. Because I wanted to capture the moment. So I grabbed my camera and I held it up and I said, <laughs> and she, as she opened the case, I took that picture that I'll never forget. Because the joy of giving a gift is seeing the person that you're giving the gift to experience it. Right? That's why we give gifts. But we find in Scripture that God gives gifts too. Is that right? He gave a gift in the person of himself. Of him, what? Of his self. He said, there's no greater gift I can give you 
so much. I, I have everything at my disposal. I have all the resources of eternity at my disposal, but I'm going to give you the gift of myself. And we find in Revelation chapter 14, we find the revelation of a gift that God has given to every creature, every person on the planet. Revelation chapter 14, we're going to read verse 6. And the reason why we say that is because it actually says it right in the text. Revelation 14, let's read it together. Revelation 14. The Bible says, Revelation 14, I'm starting verse 6. The Bible says, And I saw another angel flying in the what? Having the everlasting, what is, what is here? The angel has what? Everlasting gospel. Everlasting gospel. Angelic message. And he has the message, and, and the Bible says, to preach unto them who dwell on the what? To who? Every kindred, tongue, and sing with a fear God and give for the hour of his judgment is and we read it, we know the text. The question is, who does this gift apply to? Which people? Us? More specifically from the text. Who does everyone? Every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Everyone. Not just seven days of interest. Everyone. The gift has been given to everyone and for everyone. That means Jesus values everyone. That means that Jesus is longing to see us open the gift. To experience the gift the way the disciples experienced the gift. Their lives were changed the way Paul experienced the gift. As Paul puts it in, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I can be abased and ab I, can, I can be abased or abound. I can, I can have the most or have nothing. I can walk down the street with no money in my, packet, my pocket, but have so much joy, so much peace. The other day I was coming out of a corner store, and there was a, there was a woman that I talked to all the time. She is transitioning, and she's homeless many times. And we always have a lot of great conversations. But here's the thing that always blows my mind about her. She always reminds me of the assurance of Jesus' love for her. Homeless. Homeless. Doesn't have half of the things that we have. And she says, with a big smile on her face, Jesus loves me. God is faithful towards me. She's living in the ripple effect. We find when the message is preached and is given to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, the Bible continues to go on in verse 8, and it says, and there found another angel saying, Babylon is what? Is fallen, that great? Interesting. Babylon. Who is the king of Babylon? Who is the king of Babylon? Anyone? Nebuchadnezzar, right? What did Nebuchadnezzar say that day as he stood on the balcony of his huge home? What does he say? Is this not great Babylon that I have built? He was full of so much pride and so much self-dependence. See, the spirit of Babylon, because it's not just many times we focus on the system of Babylon and all the corruption that's in it. 
But we don't focus on the spirit of Babylon many times. The spirit of Babylon is self-dependence. That's just the opposite of the gospel. So how does the how does Babylon fall? Babylon falls by the gospel going first. The gospel must go first because what is the gospel? Go with me. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. The Bible talks about it. And we're going to, instead of going to 13, let's go to 15. 15, the Bible says. Paul is going to declare for us the gospel. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the what? Declare unto you the what? The gospel. He says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received, wherein ye what? Stand. By which ye also are saved. Saved. What does that mean? Is that future or past tense? Yeah. Because the gospel is based on what Jesus has already done. Say it again. The gospel is based on what? What Jesus has already done. He's going to explain to us the gospel. Here it goes. He continues to go and he says, if you keep in memory, keep in what? Memory, what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the what? Scriptures. And he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Here's the question. According to Paul's understanding of the gospel, who wrote the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 14? John, right? What what reference would he have to the everlasting gospel or to the gospel itself? What, or even, here's another question. What reference would Paul have to the gospel, the everlasting gospel that he's referring to? Isaiah chapter 12, 53. Isaiah chapter 53. So the gospel is the life death and resurrection of Jesus. How does Babylon fall? The gospel. The gospel goes first, Babylon falls. Because the gospel says, Brian, you can't do anything to save yourself. The gospel says, Brian, you can't do anything to merit my favor. You, Brian, you can't do anything to get my attention. You already have my attention. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You don't do things to get his attention. You already have his attention. He's already consumed with you. So that means never and never, ever, 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 ever can worry exist in a, in a heart that has experienced the gospel. Because my father has already shown me that he values me. So that means my problems are his problems. My worries are his worries. So when I come to him in prayer, I come to him with the assurance. That's what Paul says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find help in the time of need. Why can you come boldly? The gospel. He's for you. 
And to believe anything else, to believe a lie and to walk in worry and shame is to be walking with unnecessary, unnecessary burdens. Unnecessary what? Burdens. Jesus is saying tonight, to me, to you, to all of us, he's saying, open the gift. Open the gift. Your favor with God is based on what Jesus has already done. Your standing with God is based on what Jesus has already done. We don't add to the gospel story. We don't add to the salvation story. We experience it. The gospel tells you and me, guess what? You are more valuable to God than his own existence. How can I say that? Go with me to see more of the gospel. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Jesus, as he's giving his last words, his last words, I love this. Matthew chapter 27. And if you look closely, Jesus trying to unfold to the people on the cross that are next to him and even his disciples the beauty of the gospel and the assurance of the gospel. Look closely. He says, Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to start reading, I'll start reading here. I'm going to start reading verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the what? Darkness everywhere. Can you picture the scene? Your Savior, hanging on that cross naked before his family and friends, humiliated. And he's hanging there. The one who made the tree that he's hanging on. The sustainer of life itself is hanging there, helpless. But he's not helpless because he can't come down from the cross. But he chooses to stay on the cross. Why? You are more valuable to him than life itself. Look what he says in verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken what? Now, next week, if I don't see you at your local church, would you say Brian has forsaken us? What does... Being forsaken, what does that denote? What does that denote? Complete abandonment. Complete what? Complete abandonment. Here's a question for you. Jesus, before he became a human, where was he? Where? In heaven. Let's go. Let's go to Hebrews. 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 Hebrews chapter 1. And our objective tonight is to see the gospel. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. The book of Hebrews unfolds the character of God in such a powerful way. So verse 1, it says, God, who in sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, and hath in these last days spoken to us by his who? His son. That's the one who was on the cross. His son. What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. Jesus was forsaken so that we will never have to be forsaken. This is the gospel. When you come to kneel, God, kneel down before God in prayer, remember this reality. He's for me because of the gospel. So God, he spake, and he speaks in the last days through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he made the what? The world's. So the Son made the what? The worlds. He's the creator and sustainer of life itself. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, and when he had by him, what? His self purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, he had he hath inherited and obtained a more excellent name than they. The powerful reality is what? That it wasn't a third party whipping boy hanging on the cross. Can I say that again? It was not a third party party whipping boy hanging on the cross. What do I mean by that? Jesus is not just another person. He is God. Right? We just read that. So Jesus is God. That means that hanging upon the cross, God died for you. Right? On top of that, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the what? You've seen the Father. So if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. You look at the cross. He continues. Go with me closer. We're going to jump down to verse 8. But unto the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy what? Kingdom. Interesting. The word scepter denotes power. Denotes what? Whenever a king would carry a scepter, that's how you knew that he was in power. So we can actually read the verse again and actually render it. But unto the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter are the power, a power of righteousness is the power of your what? Kingdom. Interesting. We're going we're gonna to bring these two ideas together and connect it with the gospel. Paul is bringing out a different definition of righteousness than what we are used to. And he is connecting it with Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Here's Paul's understanding of, of righteousness and the gospel. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to read quickly Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 16. Paul says here, if you have it, say amen. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because in it, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein the righteousness of God is what? Revealed. So what is revealed in the gospel? The righteousness of God. Interesting. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So that means when Jesus 
was on the cross because Christ was the gospel. Everything that he did was a display of God's righteousness. He allowed them to nail him. He allowed them to spit on him. He allowed them to smack him because he could have come down from the cross. He was wrestling between two opinions. Will I come down and be dependent on myself? Or will I stay on the cross and be dependent upon God? Righteousness. Righteousness says, guess what? You, Brian, are more important to me than me. That even if I have to suffer as a result of your choices, I will. This is what Paul is bringing out. He says, For therein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by what? Faith. Here's a quotation we're going to try to wrap up. Spirit prophecy says that Christ would have not died for the souls who he died for if he did not have faith in them. Christ would not have died for the souls that he died for if he did not have faith in them. God has faith in who? In you. In you. That's heresy. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 begins to describe what love is, who God is, what his righteousness look like, what his righteousness looks like. He says in verse 7, bearing all things by, bearing all things, believing all things, and what? Hoping in all things, endureth all things. So that means because God is love, God always hopes. And because God is love, God hopes the best. So he looks at your life, he looks at my life, and, he, and we may look at our own lives and say, wow, my life is hopeless. But love never stops believing. So that's why the thief on the cross who was hanging there next to Jesus, Jesus never stopped believing. What did the thief on the cross say? What did he say? Remember me. And Jesus says, though you lived a life full of bringing pain and heartache into the lives of everyone around you. Guess what? I still believe. I still believe in you. I still believe that you will make a choice to say yes to me. Today, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Love hopes in all things. Over every life. The prostitute. When we see a prostitute, God sees a daughter. We see a drug dealer, God sees a son. God always hopes. He always believes because love always does that. My prayer, Lord, help me to see as you see. Not to focus on pain, shame, past sentence, yesterday, whatever. No, you believe. The first time the word, as we saw it in scripture, the just shall live by faith, the first time that word is mentioned is in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Go with me really quickly. Habakkuk chapter 2, 
verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Gotta find it. Gotta see, gotta see this verse. It's powerful. Can someone read it for us when we get it? Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Can you read it for us, right? Behold, the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by what? Whose faith? Does God have faith? Christ would not have died if he did not believe in the souls of whom he died for. Does God have faith? He has faith over your life. He has faith over my life. Guess what he has faith in? He has faith in what his word can do. His faith in what? When God speaks, as we... When God speaks, reality conforms to his word. He says, let there be light, and there's light. He says, let there be a firmament, and there's a firmament. He says, let there be righteousness. Let there be hope. Let there be joy. Let there be peace. And his word itself has created power. His word has faith in it. And because his word has faith in it, when in order to, for us to have faith in him, we must catch a glimpse and embrace his faith in us. We must embrace the creative power of his word. So you look at your life and you say, Lord, I'm a wretch. I'm a sinner. I'm a blamer. I feel, and God said, my word says you're a son. My word says you're a daughter. My word says I always and will always believe in what my word can do in your life. As we seek to close, Whenever the sinner realized that he was a sinner, whenever he gave up hope, he would have to go into his home. And many times, many, many people in those days, at that time in earth history, many of them had maybe one lamb, or even two. And it was customary that you would even, you wouldn't just, you wouldn't take your lamb and just put it outside. No, you're going to bring it to your house. Sleep with that lamb, sleep next to it. It's yours. Right? Because that was a commodity. That was their, can anyone in this room raise their hand and tell me they would take $100 out of their bank account and put it on the street? That was like putting your lamb outside. So they slept with their lamb. They spent time with their lamb. They was always with, always with their lamb. Precious. Not because of the economic reason, but because of the attachment. I remember as a child, my parents told us that we could get a pet. And we decided to get a hamster. Little bitty hamster. And we loved, there's a television show that we loved. 
It was called Fred Sanford. What was it called? Fred, yeah, Fred. You guys know that show? Maybe not. Okay. Yeah? You know that show? Fred Sanford? Okay. Fred Sanford had a son and a truck. That's the, like the theme song. And we named him Fred because we love the show and we love the reality that, wow, this little hamster has the same name of an old man from the television show. <laughs> and so one day, my brother and I and my sister, we decided to take Fred and bring him to school for show and tell. <laughs> right? We're gonna take Fred, we're gonna put him in his cage, and we'll bring him to school so everyone can see Fred, right? Somehow, someone, I don't know who I, whose idea it was, but we chose to leave the cage at school. And Fred got out. And days later, we found Fred. Now, it's an amazing story, right? God, God forgives. Not because he had better or he felt obligated to. Not because, well, if I don't do this, then I feel kind of pressured. No, 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 I'm going to voluntarily do this because you are important to me. And so the lamb in the sanctuary, when the sinner realized, wow, I have sinned, they have to go and they take their own personal friend. And they have to bring that animal to the sanctuary and cut its throat. Confessing their sins over the lamb, and the blood would be caught into a bowl. And the priest would take that blood into the sanctuary. And he would sprinkle that blood on the veil seven times. Because seven is the number of perfection. But that sinner, as they made their way to the sanctuary to bring their lamb for their sins, everyone in the camp knew what? You sinned. Yeah, yeah, you did that thing to your, your wife, your friend, your neighbor. Yeah, you lied. Everybody sees, oh, so-and-so. Yeah, so-and-so will land today. Going to the sanctuary. I know what it is. But then their time will come. Their time will come. And the next person, the next person. No time to point fingers when you're the sinner. The sinner, as he made his way or her way to the sanctuary, the sanctuary in the Old Testament was covered with a white linen cloth from the ground up to about nine feet. Nine feet in the air, the cloth will cover from the nine feet all the way down to the floor. And as that sinner made his way to the sanctuary, though everyone saw his shame and everyone may have saw and knew what, they, what that person may have done, but guess what? When they entered the sanctuary, into that one entrance, 
all they could see after the sinner entered was what? The lamb. I'll say it again. There was a white linen cloth in the sanctuary of old from the ground to about nine feet in the air. When the sinner made his way into the sanctuary, as he walked in, the people on the outside, they could no longer see him. All they could see was what? The light. Which represents what? The righteousness of Christ. Do you see yourself in the courtyard? Do you see what Jesus has already done for you? When the sinner left the altar, they left with joy. They left with peace. Why? Because of not what they had done to deal with the sin problem in their life, but based on what Jesus has done to deal with the sin in their life. Not based on their good works, but on his good works. Not based on their righteousness, but his righteousness. What he has accomplished. He bore our grief and carried our shame. Why are you carrying shame? Why are you holding on to this? When he already bore it. Why are you going to God? He's already for you. Step in to the sanctuary so you can experience the love of the Lord. You can leave with joy and peace. Because God has a burden for every single one of us. That's why it's open for joy. Let's begin. Let's begin. The gospel is the power of God. Alright? The power of God is displayed in creation. That means the assurance of the gospel is all around us. Don't trust the way you feel, trust what the word of God has already said. If you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Accept, embrace, believe the gospel. Don't bring your words to God. Accept his righteousness. Say, Father, I'm already accepted by you. I already belong to you. You've already done it all. I am Christ. Every head is already raised on this point. Some of the many of us here tonight have come with guilt from yesterday. We've come with guilt from today. We are we are the sinner. 
that has made their way to the sanctuary. We, this place, and it's our desire to come in contact with the cross of Calvary, which you have already done for our sins already. And Father, you want us to leave with joy and peace and hearts. So, Father, we pray that this verse will be every person in this room today. That we will realize that, Father, your thoughts are not our thoughts, that your ways are not our ways. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and we turn it not here, but water the ground and make it rain forth and bud. That it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be forth, goes forth from my womb, from my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the things hitherto I sent it. It will prosper in the thing hitherto I sent it. The assurance of my love, I've sent it tonight. That I'm for you. I've sent it tonight. In verse 12, he says, For ye shall go out with joy. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth with singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Give me a second to pray in your heart and give Jesus those words, those sins. Come into the sanctuary and lay it upon the Lamb. Lay it upon the Lamb. That guilt, that shame, lay it upon the Lamb. Because He came that he might take your burdens. He has a burden to carry those burdens. Lay it upon the Lamb. Don't walk out of here holding on to it. Lay it upon the Lamb. Thank you, Father, for your This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.